You're listening to Mocha Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Yes, sir, people, the time on... Uh, yes, it's uh, Truthful News. Wasailal Elam Sadika. Where on this uh, platform, we discuss uh, things uh, that really, yeah, gets uh, behind the news, in the news, and everything around the news. And who better than our very own uh, Professor Andre Duvonaga? He's uh, from the Northwest uh, Universities, and he's someone uh, that has uh, made an indelible impression on all media. And, uh, you know, the topics that we'll be discuss- uh, discussing will be uh, quite a few medley of topics. Uh, whatever comes in Prof's mind or my mind, we'll be discussing with you uh, this evening. Uh, good evening, Prof, and tell me how you're doing. Uh, Shafat, I am fine over here and uh, very busy at the moment with all the media and other things and the academic work, but uh, nice talking to you again. Absolutely, Prof. You know, when we look around uh, the world and, uh, you know, someone was talking to me the other day and he says it seems as if the entire world is in uh, chaos. And, you know, I got thinking and I thought, you know what, only South Africa is in chaos and we're having our problems, the RDT faction, uh, Ramaphosa's faction, then we're having uh, electricity, uh, the gas, uh, you know, the petrol, the fuel and all power uh, crisis. Uh, But, uh, Prof, when you look at the globe, uh, this seems to be a universal, um, you know, occurrence. Uh, What's your thoughts on that, Prof? Well, uh, Shafat, I think it is absolutely true that... uh, The world is in a phase of transition. We are in the process of giving birth to a completely new political, economic and social dispensation. There is a huge change in political forces throughout the world. One of the tendencies is a shift in power from the West, the traditional West, to the East. We talk about major technological advances and technological changes that is really changing the world on all levels. We have seen different forms of identity politics in this time of change. We are thinking about race as a factor, which is not playing out in South Africa alone, which is a worldwide phenomenon. If you look at the United States of America, if you look at what's happening in parts of Europe, Scandinavia, Australia, Austria, and many other places, gender rights, some people are saying the most, one of the most fundamental change in social relations over the past 50 years has to do with the position, the changing position of women in society and the impact of that on society. So yes, that is absolutely fundamental in nature. And uh, I believe that we are going to see a lot of change in the future. And with change, we are getting conflict, sometimes escalating conflicts, We can see wars already. We basically had for the past number of decades, we had a war in the Middle East with different components, a very complex war. We have seen the wars in Afghanistan. Uh, We have seen some of the current war, the Ukraine versus Russia. We are looking at the potential of a conflict between Taiwan and China. If we look at Africa, It is a violent place where many states has become completely dysfunctional and cannot safeguard their citizens. So, yes, we are living in a Darwinist world of the survival of the fittest, a world that is a dangerous place. And that is not only applicable to South Africa, that is applicable on a worldwide context. And it seems as if stability is becoming a rare commodity in these times. Yeah, but, uh, Prof, you know, there's those individuals uh, that think uh, very deeply and they say, you know, those that lived uh, during the era of the First World War will say that was a very difficult time to live. Those that experienced a Second World War will tell you the same thing. And uh, when you uh, look at all these wars, were they deliberately, you know, perpetrated, were they orchestrated, where they, these individuals, you know, they sent so many young, innocent men to the graves very early, Prof. And as I also said, uh, the Indians were complaining recently, 
saying that a millions and millions of Indians died uh, during World War One, World War Two, doing the bidding for those, uh, perhaps, you know, you say it eloquently sometimes, those elitists who sit in the ivory towers and their plan, plot and plan, like Winston Churchill, when there were ships going towards India you know, for famine relief, he said, no, 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 that must go to the UK. The lives of uh, Europeans are more important than these people. Prof, your thoughts? Well, uh, Shafat, I think if we look at the world and you expect the world order to be a just place, the moral high ground, uh, I think that will be very idealistic. To me, the political environment and the economic realities are based on interest, and people are always promoting their own interest in some way or another. And that is in the nature of mankind to go that way. And it's also institutionalized in ways politically. Uh, charity starts at home, and in a strange way, you are thinking first about yourself and then about other people. And then on the second line, it's your family, and then it may become your extended family, then it may become a community, then it may become a nation, then it may become an ideology, like let's say a Western ideology, like free market capitalism or democracy, or whatever you would like to call it. But uh, to look in this world is really a difficult thing. And uh, that is not to say that we need to live in an unjust or unjust way. Uh, but the reality on the outside is not the moral high ground. And I must make this point very, very clear, Shafat, and that is where I differ fundamentally from the socialist ideologies and related radical ideologies and of which transformation in South Africa is one of them. I honestly believe that all people are equal. People may be born equal, but no system can create equity. People will always be unique. Every individual will be different. Everyone's situation, like a finger mark, will be different from the previous one. And uh, in that sense, I think that life should be about creating opportunities for people to fulfill their purpose, to fulfill their dreams. For person A, it may mean something, and for person B, it means something completely different. But to argue that all people should have been uh, in the same position, they should end up in the same situation, the whole socialist utopia, with the argument that everyone will then be happy, the world is not working that way. The world is also working in terms of inequality, there will always be political elites. There will always be masses. There will always be strata of power. Uh, you cannot ignore it. Even, even in the most communist-oriented country, you will find political elites. And I all believe that there are fundamental differences between men and women. And I think they also have different purposes in life, different role play. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have the same rights, but uh, what the one is going to do with their right as an opportunity may differ fundamentally from someone else. So I'm looking at the world from a differentiated point of view. And to me, at the core, responsibility is lying with yourself. You cannot play the blame game. I cannot go and argue that during the Anglo-Boer War of 1899, the English did this to my family, we destroyed the farm, therefore, forever and ever in the future, they need to pay for their brutal deeds. That is when you play the blame game. And I am not in that game. 
my take on it is life happens. I see life for what it is at the moment, but I will do my best to create a better environment. And if that can contribute to the common good, I will absolutely be there. So I would like to build bridges to other people and see how uh, I and others can assist other people in need. At the end of the day, everyone has their own responsibility for going forward in life. Absolutely, Prof. And, you know, uh, why we interrogate uh, these questions is uh, we like to get to the nitty-gritty. We like to get to the truth. And, you know, we saw, you know, no um, uh, no empire lo- lasts forever. We saw many empires being coming and going. The British Empire is uh, one of the, you know, lost causes. The Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, all these have bitten the dust. But, uh, you know, when we look at the reality of life, uh, Prof., uh, you know, exploitation is something uh, that uh, we don't like. Uh, we like, you know, P- oh, there's uh, the appearances of nation states all over, all the maps of the whole world, not only Europe, but Africa and the whole world has been, uh, you know, uh, the boundaries have been devi- uh, designed and defined uh, by a group of so-called elitists. I mean, these were Britishers that wrote uh, the different uh, Palestine or the uh, Arabian Peninsula was uh, redrawn, redefined after these wars, which I, you know, uh, I'm led to believe and I do believe was orchestrated to bring in all these sinister plans. And you look at it, the Arab world, they have so much of oil, Prof. If they were left alone, perhaps, you know, they could be doing a better job, but they are controlled and patrolled by the Americans, they are controlled and patrolled by these uh, conglomerates. They are, uh, you know, dictated to, they obey their master's voice. And, uh, you know, the populace of those countries, you talk of uh, to all the Arabs and Emiratis, they are not happy with the leadership because the leadership compromises them because they're in the pockets of these uh, world exploiters. Your reaction, Prof? Well, uh, Shafat, I think at essence, at the core of everything lies power. And the one or the group or the system that has power has the ability to allocate values and scarce resources. And that was the bigger history. Now, I think more recent history will put Western countries in a dominant position. But we remember there were Chinese empires, there were Japanese empires, there were the, 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 the Roman Empire at the time. It was uh, uh, Babylon, it was uh, the area between the Tigris and the Euphrat area, which was a dominant civilization, Egypt. Civilizations come and go. Borders change on a constant basis. And you will always find huge injustices. I agree with you about exploitation that are taking place, uh, and it is still happening. But again, my question should be, what is a just order? And sometimes what is in the interest of A is not in the interest of B. And you end up with a conflicting situation and then power are mobilized. And then we have the kind of wars that are going on in uh, Asia and Europe at the moment to give one example. The point I like to make is that all powers are temporary and some are strong on the justice area, others are injustice uh, and uh, allow for myself or what I see for myself, I am also prepared to give to someone else. But I cannot pay the prices uh, for things that people did many, many decades, many millenniums ago. And I think in that way, uh, myself as an Afrikaner was illegally penalized in South Africa in the period post-1994 in many ways. Uh, we didn't, we, there were official legislation to exclude people from color 
from certain positions due to a certain history. And my life and worldview is more liberal in the same leave. Every individual should have the same rights and the same opportunity. But what you do with your opportunity is your responsibility. And what I do with mine is my responsibility. In a nutshell, that is the environment. That is the situation as it was over years. And it developed that way. And I think what you make right today may be a wrong tomorrow. It all dependent on your value system. Your point of departure, in a way, is also defining your destiny. Yeah, Prof. You know, when you look at the world history and you look at uh, the colonization of uh, different places, and uh, is it true or is, uh, are we prejudicial when we say that it's mostly the European colonizers that went around because they didn't have enough space or they didn't have enough, uh, you know, power or they didn't have enough of uh, uh, the, the uh, raw material or resources in the country. So they went around looking and they, they I mean, you looked at uh, Mali recently. Uh, you, you notice that France has pulled out of Mali, but uh, there are, I believe, uh, 6,000 gold mines there. And all that gold, guess where it is, Prof? It's all in France. Mali has uh, nothing, no gold whatsoever. And the same with all the other resources. If you look at uh, Afghanistan, why is Afghanistan making world headlines? Because it has one of the biggest lithium mines in the world. And besides uh, the poppy fields and those, uh, you know, those uh, drugs that are going out from Afghanistan, otherwise uh, they wouldn't worry. But the question to pose, Prof, who's taking all these drugs? Who's taking all these goals? And what are they doing? They are not squeaky cleaner, people. They are, you know, perhaps people that have a tinge of evil also, Prof. Your thoughts? Yeah, Shafat, there's no doubt that, uh, as I mentioned from the beginning, that uh, people will always invest in their own interest. We have seen that through colonial structures and other structures. But I think to argue that colonialism was a unique phenomenon in history, I think that is wrong. I think the bigger phenomenon is imperialism. And imperialism is as old as mankind. There were always these battles over scarce resources, these battles over whatever. And... uh, The end result was conflict, some benefit, some lost. If we look at Africa, Southern Africa and South Africa in particular, before the colonial settler ended up here in 1652, we had Akoi and the Sun people, only a few hundred, maybe a few thousand of them. And at that point in time, the black people was uh, far up north. They only met, I think it was around the 1820s, the 1830s, they met around the Fish River. So the area at that point was unpopulated. It was very open. The same was applicable to places like Canada, the United States of America. It was, however, different in places like China, India, Japan, and so on. But in many areas in Africa, it was open area. And at the same time, we had the Industrial Revolution in Britain and parts of Europe. There was this need for raw material to get the economy going. And yes, the other side of the coin, and Helen Zilla was criticized for that, was that despite all the negative aspects of colonialism, and we had a discussion of that, it also brought infrastructure to Africa. It also, people in Africa also benefited from many of these infrastructures and the other uh, legacies coming from that time. So it was not all negative, but uh, you know, Shafat, if you are a a trader and the other guy is a manufacturer, who is going to end up with the richness, the person that is doing the trading or the person Mm. that is manufacturing the things. Mm. And the traditional 
colonial uh, empire versus colony relationship is one where the colony is providing the raw materials, then the raw materials is going the way of the colonial countries, say Britain or France or whatever. They are doing manufacturing and uh, the colony is in need for these products and they are buying them back. So at the end of the day, uh, the people in the metropole centers are becoming rich and these at the peripheries, the colonies, I have a poor situation. Now that line was broken with the decolonization. And what was interesting was that that pattern continued to a certain extent. And what we are looking at at the moment in a, in a continent like Africa is that there's a lot of power play coming from especially China to expand its influence. And that's also a form, according to my assessment, of new colonialism. And the only way you can stop it is by empowering yourself. And you can only empower yourself by getting the necessary knowledge and skills, defined your future, and became a power base on yourself. You cannot be on the rugby field and then be concerned. If you just take a tackle or you didn't score a try and someone break through and they score the try. This is a power play, Shafat. Uh, unfortunately, that is the realities of life. And it's not always a fair game. In most cases, it's a very, very difficult game. Prof, you know, I hear what you say and, you know, as you talk, my mind goes into the Middle East or once again, you know, America, uh, the, the war on uh, terror, number one, and the war on, uh, you talk about uh, Saddam Hussein and, uh, you know, he's looking for weapons of mass destruction and uh, uh, subsequent uh, investigations have proven that man never had weapons of mass, uh, mass destruction, but uh, that was used as an, acu- uh, as an excuse to go and uh, perpetrate a war on that country, war, I mean, they called it war, but it was more, again, in my opinion, an exploitation. They created that war, they, you know, they created that uh, Saddam Hussein, they brought him into play, they went and bombed the country into Stone Age, and, uh, you know, they supplied the arms and the ammunition to uh, different groupings there to uh, cause mayhem also in the country, and eventually it was them, those uh, that, you know, sold the arms, that uh, created the war, that manipulated the war, and that siphoned all the oil back to where they wanted to siphon it. And uh, they came back and they rebuilt the country, so-called rebuilt it, made money over and over and over again with impunity. Prof, what's your thoughts? Well, Shafat, I'm still with my original principles. (laughs) (laughs) You're playing chess with me, Prof. Um, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, world politics is a power play. It's a reality of, of a power play. And the, the lesson from history is that the stronger will always win. And I'm not justifying the Americans in this context. I think uh, if they are objective and they are looking back at uh, uh, their own situation and their decisions in the early 90s, they will find that it was wrong. It disrupted the Middle East in such a way which was at the at the end very negative for the Americans. In fact, it was a worst case scenario. I think they would be better off by keeping Saddam Hussein over there because now the threat coming from Iran, I think, is a lot bigger than was the case with Saddam Hussein. So there were absolute strategic mistakes make in that process. There's no doubt about it. But I think the world of history is working that way. If we look at the injustices, and maybe we can look at, for example, what happened in Russia under Stalin or the Soviet Union, I think it was about 30 million people that were killed. If you look at Mao Zedong in China, communist China, I think about... 100 million people, they they, they guess that it should be close to 100 million people that will be killed uh, over that time. 
You know that thing of uh, Mao Zedong, let a hundred flowers bloom, something like that. He came growing to a phase where he said, people, now it's open time. You can criticize the communist government. We are listening to you, the people. And then a number of people stood up and they talk and they write and they had assemblies, etc. the next day hit on them and took them out, all of them. That is the reality of world politics in a way. But that is not to justify it. That is what we are seeing happening. The question to me is, how can we make the world a better place? And if you use this as your point of departure, then we are going back to the holy books. And to me, mm. Is the principle of what I would like to do to myself and see other people doing to me, I must do the same to other people. As we say in Afrikaans, naaste liefde. We need to do that. That is to create a better world. And I think people benefiting from their environment has, with any doubt, a duty towards other people, but that is not making everyone equal. Some people's ability to contribute will always be bigger than other people. I cannot compare myself to my daughter. I'm a, a academic, a professor at the university. She is a, a spe specific, a specialized uh, professional woman, uh, uh, accredited, what do you call it? Hoptruyer, the Rekenmeester is the Afrikaans accountant. And, uh, uh, chartered, chartered accountant. Uh, chartered accountant. And I cannot compete with her in any way. She will end up a lot higher than I am, sir. So uh, I think that is how life is presenting us with opportunities and realities. Yes, sir, Prof. You did uh, touch on uh, a very important uh, part there. And as you said, yeah, the peace can only come through divine decree. And we know that the world or the things of this world are proceeds by divine decree and not by man's administration. The divine decree, if you look at uh, the Bible and you look at the religious scriptures and you look at, uh, you know, God is being uh, taking, uh, taken out of the equation, uh, Prof. When you look at uh, people like uh, Dan Brown, when you look at the syllabuses of the school and, uh, you know, what type of things are coming through, uh, you know, it's like deliberately taking the creator out of the equation. And as you said, you know, uh, people that have been uh, pushing this agenda, you can see by their fruits, uh, Jesus said, by their fruits, uh, you shall know them. And you can see that what they are ushering in is totally a heedless and a godless society. And you know, the roles of uh, human beings are being changed where you ha even have to go and ask a boy, are you a boy or are you a girl? Or you can go to a girl and you must ask, are you a, a female or are you a male? And, you know, these are rights that are being given to them, which is, you know, mind-boggling. And, you know, Prof, maybe I can tell you, I mean, this is what I feel. Are we sinning against our, our own intelligence? And, you know, I, I give you full marks in uh, saying that the scriptures are the only solution. But, Prof, you can see that the scriptures are deliberately targeted. And what it says, uh, says us what we should be doing, they are taking that out of the equation and they're putting the don't. In, instead of the do. Your thoughts, Prof? Well, Shafat, maybe I must answer you from a university perspective. What I am seeing at universities, and I'm seeing that as a person that are prominent in the humanities and working as part of the bigger uh, conversations in the country about politics, but not only politics, also social conversations. I am seeing a, a tendency that is called postmodernism, which is basically a reaction against all categories. You cannot categorize in society. And uh, because if you categorize a person, the argument is you will give up, you will put a political handle on that person, and in a way, you will discriminate against these people. Now, to me, that is part of a bigger tendency of uh, 
equity politics, if you would like to call it, where everyone is equal, where everyone is uh, supposed to be the same. There's only one size that fit all people. And I am very strongly opposed to that. And the postmodernism also ignore the principles coming from the Holy Scriptures, the principles we believe in, which we grown up in, etc. And they are making the world uh, a place where only human rights should be the Alpha and the Omega of literally everything. That is completely unacceptable to me. To me, the world has, in a way, an order, an order structured by God. And that order is taking on different forms. And I think if you look at uh, my Bible in Romans, I think it is 10 or something there, the, the, the Bible is quite clear about this. They say, you must pay to Caesar what Caesar needs. He is the, the, the legitimate authority over you, and you must obey the law. So there's room for the political elites. That's not to say that uh, they can't be guilty uh, on, on uh, serious forms of misconduct, but then it is your duty as a responsible individual to show the political leaders on their mistake to take action where necessary. But to me, that is not equal to what I would like to call revolutionary action. You first need to talk to people because my understanding and the principles I am living on is that uh, you, if someone hit you, you mustn't necessarily hit that person back. It's not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It is, you must be the lesser guy, and if you are the lesser one, you may end up in a more prominent position. But the postmodernist had a completely other life and world view. And as you mentioned, when it comes to gender issues, that you must first ask the person, are you a man or a woman, or whatever the case may be, they are telling me at universities in the US and I think in Australia, they have a handbook for the interaction between student males and student females on campus. And you must follow that guide. It's a guide probably thicker than the Bible. And you need to follow all process and protocol Otherwise, you can be fined guilty to something. My take on it is that is not how the world is working. To me, that is a, a basically a disgusting way of trying to understand a world that doesn't exist in that way. So, yes, I am in agreement that we need to work away from the, the postmodernist equity, political correctness approach. And maybe we must say a word about political correctness. You know, in South Africa, if you say something small, you are in deep trouble. And you can even end up by losing your job or whatever the case may be. And you must just go and look at the history of Jordan Peterson. He was fighting his Canadian psychologist. He was fighting this postmodernist approaches and they had petitions against him. They tried to get him out of the system. In my world, it is more or less the same. If you say something wrong, they will call you in. I remember I was at a point called in when I said there's more racial laws in South Africa at the moment mm. than there was in the period before 1994. And I was in trouble, but at least I could show them the empirical evidence of why I am saying what I am saying. But to be political correct, I think in a way my job as an academic sometimes is in fact to be politically incorrect. It's your job to show the world 
what is right and what is not right. And then, and we didn't discuss that too much, how can we create a better world? How can we create a better South Africa? And I have strong ideas about how we can create a better South Africa. A part of it is liberal, democratic. A part of it is giving people uh, group rights and give them opportunities, a system that is functional, not uh, corruptive in, in, in many ways. But I think there's many changes we can bring about to make South Africa a better place for all its citizens. But the current political ideology, the practice coming from the National Democratic Revolution, transformation and the implementation of the B policies and racially discriminatory legislation is to me extremely problematic. Also, this whole thing of gender identity, I think is a strange, strange uh, assumption on which the world is based. And my take on it is that we need to do the basics right before we can go into more sophisticated classification. You know, Prof, I know uh, we had the Roman uh, Dutch law and uh, most of the countries uh, uh, did implement that. And uh, that's, uh, as you know, mostly biblical laws are uh, coming through there. And uh, today you, you'll notice that our uh, constitution or maybe even our judiciary has been compromised uh, uh, very heavily in that uh, you find uh, that a criminality, if you got the money, and even if you're a murderer, if you, 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 uh, you created the most heinous rhymes, uh, if you got the money, you get the best lawyer and you get yourself, uh, you know, cleared out, uh, Prof. I mean, which is rather very unfair. And uh, there you say, you know, elitist. What type of elitists are these? These are big criminals. These are big mafias that are literally getting away with murder, Prof. Well, you're absolutely right there, Shafat. I'm not, all, I'm not in, I'm only saying that there will always be elites. But that is not to say that elites are doing the mm. right thing and what is just, etc. What we are looking at in South African politics is the criminalization of South African politics. And many people in senior positions are directly or indirectly connected to mafias and other forms of syndicates. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And you talk about the Dutch-Roman law. Now, I'm a great supporter of the, 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 the Roman-Dutch law in, in, in South Africa. But we need to differentiate between what I like to call the normative state, what it is supposed to be, and what is the rule of law supposed to be in terms of the South African constitution, and what is going on on the level of the empirical state, the reality. There's a huge difference between what the norms say it should be and the reality on the other side. And there you are 100% right. And I have just earlier this year made an assessment of one of my colleagues' book. And the title is There's No Supreme Constitution. The author is Professor Kosma Lam. And he's arguing that this uh, a thing we call the constitution is a facade. It's not a, uh, it's not a reality. There's something else in place of the constitution. He's talking about the constitution with a capital C, that is the 1996 constitution, and then the constitution that is functioning in reality, he called the constitution with a small C, and that is including transformation and B, and all these criminal activities, these syndicates, and how they operate. And Kosmalon came to the conclusion that our legal system are dysfunctional. It is not impartial. Uh, you can disrupt our legal system in many ways, as we have seen the success that many politicians had with the so-called Stalingrad type of strategy. I have also seen Stalingrad in reverse at the Northwest uh, ANC uh, conference over the weekend, 
where there were attempts to stop the conference coming from the side of, we believe, Supramuamupelo. So yes, I think people has lost confidence in uh, the legal system and the way the legal system is operating. In fact, my own assessment, Shafat, is that we have a crisis with the state as state. And earlier in our conversation, you have made the, the, the you have made a very very important point that the state is in fact a Western thing. Not all people are associated in their culture with the Western concepts. Is that this newly created states, which in many ways was a product of colonialism, after independence, they didn't decide to change the borders. They decided to keep the borders. And that was an interesting decision. So when it comes to the borders of Africa, in many ways, Africa can decide about their borders. It's no more a colonial decision. But what we are looking at is that political powers at the outplay of powers are in many cases creating new boundaries. What is interesting, and I conclude with this, is uh, that uh, uh, borders change on a constant basis. I have seen a statistic after the Second World War. There was something like uh, 52 political entities in the world. In my years as a student, there was something like 180 states in the world. At the moment, there are more than 200 political entities. And what is also very, very interesting is the fact that, um, uh, that these states are not competitive to other entities in the world. Sometimes states are becoming irrelevant in a world of change. Yeah, it seems like uh, we're having a problem, uh, Lokolo. Are we losing Prof there? Yeah, he says uh, it seems like we're having a problem. I hope our Prof is not having a load shedding. But in the, uh, yeah, yeah, in the meantime, yeah, I think yeah, for the rest of the program, try and get a, a member of parliament, Ahmed Manzur Sheikh Imam. We'll try and uh, get him. Yeah, we'll get him to uh, perhaps yeah, close up the program. Uh, I'll ask him a few pertinent que- uh, questions. Okay, Lokolo, you, you do that. Yeah, I can see you already dialing, and uh, once you have him, we can, uh, yeah, we can get going with him. Yes, uh, we welcome uh, Member of Parliament, uh, the leader of the NFP, and a five-brand uh, parliamentarian and uh, MP that uh, we all uh, embrace and celebrate, Ahmad Mansur Sheikh Imam. On such short notice, uh, Jazakallah Khair for joining us. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, indeed a great pleasure uh, to join you on the air. Yeah, I tell you, Ahmed, you know, the, uh, we're talking about uh, Roman-Dutch law, and uh, we know that this country uh, follows the Roman-Dutch law. And, you know, a scenario came through in a recent, uh, you know, a case that uh, there was a Dali, Dali Impofu, uh, you know, telling uh, uh, someone to shut up. And, you know, Roman-Dutch law, they don't, they don't uh, t- uh, uh, you know, tolerate such, uh, such things. And uh, subsequently, he said in, uh, in course, uh, uh, it's not an insult to tell someone, shut up. But in English, Roman-Dutch law, in the, you know, the Roman style and the Dutch law, I mean, when you tell someone, shut up, shut up is an insulting word. You know, it's insulting instruction. Your thoughts on that, Ahmed? I mean, you know, maybe I should add in this country, are we compromising our constitution? Are we compromising our judiciary? was bringing in a, a tribalistic and a linguistic g- gymnastics to circumvent uh, perhaps a new law or disorder, law and disorder. I, I don't know how you will uh, read it, Ahmed, but go ahead. Bismillah. Well, well, let me start off, Brother Shafat, from something different. I ask all the members of the Ummah to make dua that this little child that was kidnapped in Kensington is returned safely to his family. Uh, inshallah. Uh, yeah, on the, on the issue here, perhaps, you know, let me start off by saying that, you know, it is very unfortunate that you have uh, uh, people like, you know, Dali Mpof, who was senior, 
uh, a council and behaves and conducts himself in a manner that he does, bringing the entire you know, judiciary into disrepute, and trying then, and more importantly, are trying to, and trying to defend his, you know, utterances uh, 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 in the manner in which he does. And uh, you know, I think it would be uh, have been a lot more professional on his part had he just apologized, withdrawn the remarks, and that's it. But rather than trying to go and justify, you know, by referring to it as, a, as, as, as one of the native languages, and it does not uh, mean much harm, it's not derogatory, it's, it, 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 I, I think it, it, it's far from the truth. I think we must appreciate, and this is not the first time, even with the current sitting that is taking place, in terms of the inquiry into the fitness of the public protector to hold office, the impeachment process. And if you look at the conduct of, of, of Dalian Pofu there as well, and it's raising a lot of eyebrows. I think even ordinary people are raising concerns, uh, uh, you know, about his conduct, his attitude, the arrogance uh, that is being displayed. Uh, so, yes, indeed. And uh, I think there is no place for in, 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 in the law, uh, common law of South Africa. And yes, indeed, to a very large extent, we apply the Roman Dutch law. We know where it originated from. We know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, however, we, you know, I think what Dalian Pofu is trying to do, uh, 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 having understood, because you know that the uh, 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 certain institutions uh, have already called for him to be disciplined and removed and, and all kinds of things. So I think he's trying to soften it up by justifying his acts of arrogance and, 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 and rudeness. Uh, and, and to some extent, you know, uh, for me, it's a, it's a way of intimidating uh, witnesses and things. And you'd notice that that conduct continues uh, and I don't want to go into the depth of, 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 of uh, the presentations that he actually makes but uh, you know I, I, there is a lot of discussion and debate that is going on on his conduct currently his presentations whether it is uh, as any relevance to the matter beforehand or whether as a result of, of the weakness of the case uh, that he's handling and, and, and those that he's defending, that he needs to then go into this <laughs> direction because I think he almost loses control of himself. So, yeah, I, you know, you, you, it's very unfortunate, I must tell you. And he's held some very senior positions, you know, and uh, it's, uh, really, I think he, he, he must be condemned with the contempt it deserves. Absolutely. And uh, then you look at our judiciary, we look at our, you know, our constitution. Uh, do we need to revisit our constitution, uh, you know, uh, looking at, uh, you know, the different types of uh, scenarios that are coming through in this country in that, uh, you know, I think you and I have, have discussed this before, that uh, the criminality elements are using our constitution to literally stay out of jail, uh, Ahmad. Absolutely, Brother Shafir. It is time to go back to the drawing board, not just on the Constitution when it comes to the matters to do with crime in the country, on policies that we have in place. Uh, we must admit, 28 years down the line, we are moving in the wrong direction, and it's time now to reflect on the success and failures. And of course, I think there's very little success. There's more failures than successes. And I think we need to go back to the drawing board and make the necessary amendments, learn from the mistakes we've made. Uh, right now, I think with the Constitution and, and the protection that it affords, uh, particularly criminal elements in the country, at the expense of the victims, who in any event end up footing the bill in any case. <laughs> you know, so it's like double jeopardy. You've already had your rights violated, and then over and above that, you must go and, and, and go and pay taxes to support these these very same criminals, one either in when they are in correctional facilities or more importantly to pay for legal experts to come there and defend them, even though they know that these people are as guilty as hell. So, you know, it, it's certainly time, I think, to reflect on that and go back to the drawing board. I think it's time for constitutional amendments. I think we need to call for referendums on a whole lot of issues, particularly on serious and violent crimes, including treason. Uh, rape, um, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, murder uh, and things. I think we, we need to go back to the drawing board and look at these things. The criminal, the entire criminal justice system in the country needs an overhaul. And, uh, and this thing that people hiding over constitutional right and your democratic right, I think it's something that we need to relook really at. Really, it is not working the interest of the majority of the people in the country. In fact, on the contrary, it gives more protection to the criminal elements than the victims themselves. Victims, after being humiliated, having their, violated, their right violated, must also go up to court. And even there, they are interrogated even by legal experts who are funded by the same victims, okay? And let me tell you, likes, you know, of what uh, uh, Dalim Pofu is doing currently, that, that is exactly what happens to many of the victims when they even have to go on those witness boxes and how they are terrorized and intimidated. It, it, it leaves a lot uh, uh, of attention needed to, uh, and of course, amendments needed, particularly, I think, in the criminal justice system, if we want to address the, the, the direction in which we, the country is moving with the high levels of crime and the number of people that get away with it, Brother Shepard, mm. means if you've got the right legal representative, which is also paid by the state because you're getting legal aid and all these kinds of stuff, it simply means that the chances of, of you've got the right person, you, are, you can be as guilty as hell, but you have gone. You are scot-free. I like that, and I think on a scot-free note, we'll end off. Ahmed Jazakallah Khair for you know joining us. As I said, uh, such a short notice and giving us a beautiful answer there. And inshallah, we'll be talking to you soon. Your parting words before we let you go. Well, you know, you 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 speaking about a very, we we've just been discussing a very very important topic, Brother Shafat, and the you know the the, the, the criminal elements who appear to be getting away. Uh, the number of kidnappings that are taking place. And this is an ideal example of a six-year-old child in full view of so many people. How daring are these people that they can go out there uh, uh, and kidnap this child, well orchestrated by what you can see. And, uh, and, and Brother Shafford, what we are finding more and more, a lot of this information that is leaking out, sensitive information, I want to urge the people out there Please refrain from making statements, you know, uh, 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 in, in, in the media, particularly social media, because it will prejudice the investigation, but more importantly, put the victims at great risk. And that is what is happening currently. Jazakallah khair, Ahmad Manzur Sheikh Imam. Inshallah, I'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, a lot of uh, thoughts are coming through uh, this evening on Wasail al-Alam al-Sadiqa. And Alhamdulillah, something to think about. Well, people, I must thank Lukalo for brilliant engineering. Keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful engineering. A lot of our beautiful information coming through from the team. And I, till we meet you again, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.